You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Glenn Morning, 
And although I am not a father at this point yet in my life, for the last 10 years, I have worked in elementary education um, in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, most recently moved down to D.C. for the last several years, uh, where I'm continuing to work as an educator. Um, my passion has to do, has everything to do with the fact that I grew up fatherless. Um, so being in a position of somewhat of a father figure as a classroom teacher, especially in urban education, um, it's been um, nothing more than just the most amazing journey uh, to see kids that may have the same struggles that I had as a child. Um, and with that, I had an opportunity to also become an author where I put together my kid series, which is titled Crunchy Life. The Crunchy Life series is dedicated to any uh, boys and girls. Um, and what happens in the story, just in brief, is that the life of a 10-year-old boy is uh, encompassed from the beginning of the school year throughout the entire school year, uh, where he goes through these amazing challenges that he learns how to be resilient and be uh, persistent. Um, he learns these amazing life lessons through the, uh, the, the art of storytelling uh, fairy tales that are embedded in the series. Uh, and just lastly, uh, through my company, uh, with my wife and I, uh, we have uh, an educational component where we have a self-help book for middle and high school students that is a conversational style read um, that gives them all of the advice uh, with the mission of learning how to pay the price for success, being persistent, responsible, having integrity, commitment, and enthusiasm. That also comes jam-packed with a 120-page workbook for different tasks and activities for them to monitor their own skills in terms of academic progress and social and emotional well-being. So I'm so super excited to be here with my brothers, and I hope you all enjoy the, the discourse. So good afternoon, my name is Sherman Barksdale. I am um, an administrator at a pre-K through second grade school in Baltimore City Public Schools. Um, I've been working for Baltimore City Public Schools for the past 14 years. Um, I'm the father of two. I have a son, Jaden, he's 15, and I have a daughter, Desiree, she's 12 years old. Um, I'm also the COO of a um, startup company, it's called Spread Karma. You can log on to spreadkarma.org um, to check us out. What Spread Karma is, it's a, um, it's a crowdfunding platform um, that support campaigns for uh, different um, initiatives that support underserved communities. So if you know anyone who's a social uh, philanthropist, a social entrepreneur, send them to spreadkarma.org and we can uh, start making our community a little bit better one campaign at a time. Okay, so uh, thank you all for the introduction. I'm pretty sure everybody, everybody's excited to hear from us all. So I'm, I'm glad to have y'all here. And um, I want to go with Kenji real quick to get into some brief uh, statistics about Baltimore before we get into our discussion. Data, 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 right? Uh, data is important. And so, Part of the reason why we formulated this collective is because we want to change the narrative as it relates to some of the things that are perpetuated, particularly in the social media platform about black fathers. Um, but the reality is that there is an issue um, as it relates to fathers who are absent in the inner city community. And that data speaks to the effect and impact that it has on our youth and their choices. So without getting into exact numbers, when you look at young children who are incarcerated or who are involved in high levels of crime or who indulge in alcohol, 
and drug use. Young ladies who may experience early age intercourse and also getting pregnant. There is a direct relation to those numbers and the void of fathers in the household. On the flip side of that, right now today, black fathers are more involved in their children's lives than any other race. But you wouldn't know that based on what's perpetuated on social media. Right now today, the data shows uh, recently a report that was conducted through CNN that black fathers actually participate in taking their children to school, sitting down with them and eating in the morning, participating in after-school activities and extracurricular activities, more so than their Caucasian or Latino counterparts. And that's factual, but again, that's not promoted. Now, going back to the data that is out there, right now, currently today, 1.5 million black fathers are deemed missing in America. Now, when we say missing in America, we're speaking to early death and incarceration. So when we talk about the void or the absence of the black father, what's not being said is that in most cases, this is not a choice. This is not, and I'm saying in most cases, because everybody may know that person who has a girlfriend who has a, uh, who will say, you know, my kid's father doesn't want anything to do with them. But the reality is when we talk about the majority, in most cases when a child is growing up without the presence of a father figure or their own father, it is due to things like incarceration, drug use, or early death. Not so much someone who's willing and able and just chooses not to. And so when we start talking about changing the narrative, that's why we're here, because it's up to us as a collective to start helping to change the narrative by the things that we put out into the atmosphere, the things that we say about black men in our communities. Because reality is the data says that we are present and that we are trying. And so the goal also is to continue that and to offer support to those who may not have the resources or may not know how or simply just want to be better fathers. Because anyone that's in here that's a parent, mother, or father will agree that there is absolutely factually no manual to, to be a parent. We all, we all agree with that? Yes. We've all made our mistakes. As a, as a matter of fact, I would say that you know, I get a lot of compliments about the kind of father that I am, and I can't even take credit for it because I made it a mission to surround myself with nothing but dope dads, right? That's these gentlemen sitting up here and the people that I surround myself with. I don't know any bad fathers because I refuse to surround myself with anyone that would willingly not play a role in the children's life. And so as we continue, we those of you sitting in the audience, I want you to think about anything that you want to ask. I don't want this to be a one-way dialogue, so we're going to touch on some things. But if there's a question that you have or a feeling that you have or anything that you want to share, I urge you to throw it at us. This is an open dialogue because it's the only way that we're going to start the healing process and also to get the message out there that needs to be told. Yeah, I, I truly agree. And um, you actually mentioned something about like the way that black fathers are perceived, and you mentioned social media, but the question that I want to pose to, to each of you all is, in what ways do you think that black fathers and father figures are portrayed in media, whether it be in television and film or social media, 
And is that way an accurate depiction of how black fathers really are? Like, are we are we showing them the light that we should be presenting it currently? And if not, what you know what what does it take to change that narrative? Yeah, so I would say that um, and in general, the, the, the pain the pain that is necessarily like the most vivid in my mind is the outlier, right? You have Uncle Phil, you have, you know, any of the Tyler Perry series where there's a household and you know both parents are present and that is a hardworking uh, provider, right? And while that kind of seems counterintuitive in the sense in the sense of that being a positive thing, the reality is, and Kenji kind of touched on it, there are thousands of single fathers that don't necessarily feel that, you know, their journey is necessarily represented in the media, right? So if you aren't with the mom successfully working as the dominant provider and such, then it seems as if the media has painted the other approach and the other journey as a failure. So our, our, our mission in, in, in total is more so to make sure that we're empowering not only fathers that are uh, involved and would like to become more involved, but that single father that has that positive outlook that is actively seeking ways to be engaged and for him to know that you don't have to be the LeBron James in Open a Promise School to you know, be viewed in the, in the public eye as a successful type of father. Nice. I, I actually, I agree with that. Um, I don't think the single father is represented a lot in media. Um, I'm a single father myself, and as far as media is concerned, um, even like TV shows, you mentioned Uncle Phil, I can't think of one show where there's a single father who is actually doing things um, with their child that it is meaningful to their um, to maximizing their potential, you know. So, like for me, for example, I'm very involved in my children's education, and um, I think education is one of the most important things for a father to be a part of because of the um, the how a child responds to. Um, Attempting to impress their father is, is one of the most important things I think that a child um, should be able to experience. So the effort they put forth in it with, with anything, um, it, I feel like it's, it's totally different when they're trying when they're trying to uh, impress their father. So with education, if a child is is not getting that kind of uh, support. From from a father, um, I don't I don't think that, and I lost my thought. I'm sorry. I don't think that um, they will be able to maximize that potential the way they could without a father being involved. You know what I mean? I think I think social media plays a huge role in the way things are depicted. Um, Social media is a gift that occurs very often. We find out news that we would normally get on the news. Um, we get it through social media. Um, and even with this question about the way fathers are depicted, um, I'm in a group, and a gentleman posted something the other day about a situation where 
he's the single father and his oldest child, the mom, has never been present, had experiences with drug use. And he was posing a question to the group on what he should do because apparently the mom is something like $30,000 in arrears in child support and calling him and stating that she's struggling um, and could he forgive her um, on the 30000 so that she could pursue some other things, I believe, with her other children in order to get whatever, whatever it was, the child support that's out there was preventing her from being approved these other things. And his question was, you know, what should I do? And I was kind of shocked. Um, the majority of the people, men and women, basically said, let it go and, and let her do whatever she needs to do. You'll be blessed. And at the end of the day, it's 30000 for a reason because that's what's accrued. And you've been able to successfully raise your child without those things. But one of the things that I had to point out in the group was, if this narrative was reversed, right? And this is the, look at the response. The reality is, right? If, if it was a woman coming on, saying that exact same story, but it was the father who was 30,000 in the rear for child support, I, I believe, and I don't think you would doubt me on this, that, that those responses would have been very different. So that right there is a key reflection of what we talk about when we talk about double standards, when we talk about the, the, um, the narrative that's being perpetuated out there. And um, ultimately, I think he agreed with just letting it go. But that, that, that's the reality. Yeah, and you bring up a good point about social media because one of the things I see in social media is, and I know a lot of you might say that you pay attention every year on Father's Day, there's a situation where there are a lot of women patting themselves on the back and telling themselves happy Father's Day. And I think that this is the worst thing in the world because if there's a father that's not there, okay, that's, that's, we, we, we know that that happens. But at no point at all, if the situation was on the other foot, would it be applauded or even accepted for a man to disparage a woman on Father's Day and to take the credit. Like, you mentioned single fathers. I was a former single father. I had my son, my oldest son, since he was three months old. I had friends that used to call me and tell me happy Mother's Day or Father's Day because of my situation. We laughed and joked about it. But at no point in time would I ever perpetuate that because that's not what I'm about. Like, I, I, it, it's, it's more to that. There's more to it than showing people or trying to show people but what I will say is, on social media recently, there's been an influx of kind of like positivity promoting fathers. So, you know, there's a lot of fatherhood groups, there's a lot of, you know, discussions, and there are a lot of hashtags and things like that. But what I noticed is a lot of viral moments created. There are a lot of, you know, professional pictures of dads in action. But what we want to do is we want to provide a platform and shit like on the fathers that may not know how to create a viral moment. The fathers that may not know or have access to professional photography but are really out doing their jobs as fathers every day. Because like like my brothers all mentioned, there are a lot of fathers, whether they be single fathers, whether they just be fathers that are actively involved, co-parenting or whatever, that are doing everything possible to reverse that stereotype and to be involved in their kids' lives 
they don't get it shine, they don't get the the, the attention that's deserved. So that's what that's what we're here for. We want to shed light on on those fathers, the fathers that may not be getting the attention and recognition that they deserve. And also for the fathers that are on the other end that, you know, may not be doing what they need to do. We want to show them a way that, hey, there, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel, but there's a way to to better your circumstance and, and, and make make things as best as they possibly can because at the end of the day, it's all about a job. So um, one of the next things that I wanted to get into. Okay. So I, I was that kid who, at eight, nine, and 10, wrote the Happy Father's Day father to my mom, right? And before we jump to the next part, really quick, I, I want to make sure that we understand, too, that there's nothing wrong with a woman being, um, you know, being aware that she is absolutely holding it down for her children, right? Like, we're not saying that, that, that there's no, yes, more power to, you know, the, the strong, independent, but at the same time, when it's done in a demeaning way, perhaps, what it, what it absolutely does, and I can just speak to that, is that it kind of severs any opportunity for restoration later on, right? So, and, as opposed to being down the single father that may be trying to be involved in a positive way, you can uplift yourself without pushing someone else, you know, off that pedestal for opportunities for the future. You know, like, I, I just want to make sure that I snuck that in there. I, I agree. I think that um, plays, I think that that could be fixed or improved by improving the relationship that you have with your co-parent, right? So if you have a good relationship, even though you're not together, that does not mean that you um, can't have a, a, a great relationship with your co-parent, with your child's uh, mother, and, and develop a level of respect where she is actually posting something on social media about you being a great father, even though you're not together. So it's a level of respect, I believe, that um, two parents should have for one another to lift up that parent in, in social media, in the light of social media or whatever, to paint them as, a, as the great father that they are. So, and we kind of see that with um, one per Will Smith, right? He has the, like his whole family involved, his oldest son. His name is Trey, like your son, right? And he has a great relationship with Trey's mother. So Trey's mother is part of the family as well, even though they're not together. And she gives him the ultimate praise for being the father that he is. So we need to see that, not just with celebrities, I guess. I mean, he does have a lot of money. So the communication might not be as hard for him. But, you know, I believe that we can do the same. Right, right, right. I definitely agree. And um, I think just in general, with, with everything that we're starting to see, there, there is starting to be a change and shift in this new generation of fathers. So the question that I want to pose is, what do you see with, I'll say, our generation of fathers and how we are doing things to change the narrative and reverse the stereotypes that have been perpetuated for years? I believe that we recognize what we missed as children. We recognize... Um, and I, I can speak for myself, I recognize what I was missing as a child through watching um, my friends, my cousins. I have four uncles. My, my mother has 
four brothers, and I watched them be parents to all of their children, their great fathers, their family men. So even though I didn't have that in my household, I remember that. I carried it with me. I, um, I speak to my uncles now. You know, I ask them questions now. But growing up, I just, I just remember them and the level of support they provided. And so I carry that with me, and now that I have children, I know what support looks like. And so now, um, and, and I believe that the generation of mothers that we had, the strong women that we had, I believe they raised us to be great fathers. You know how they say you raise your daughters and cow your sons? I don't think we experienced that, right? So that played a huge part in um, changing the narrative with us this generation of fathers. Anybody else? I actually want to speak to something you said about the, the strength mm -hmm. in, in mothers. Mm -hmm. um, I've been quoted as saying this a lot, and sometimes I have other men look at me like I'm crazy, <laughs> and it might happen again, but I firmly believe that when we're talking about just foundational strength and being able to endure, um, Basically, anything. I feel like women are the most powerful creatures on the planet. That's, that's, this is me speaking. I'm not speaking for anybody else. Um, and you see, I'm not, I'm not talking about physical strength. I'm, I'm just talking about the ability to endure and overcome all obstacles. And I think part of that is why there is such a level of resentment when there's a, a, a woman who does experience a father who helped create the child and for some reason is not putting that effort forth to be there in lieu of any obstacles that they may have gone through. Because one thing I can say about mothers, and I always use the word majority because there's always the exception, but mothers get it done no matter what. No matter whether they have multiple children, whether they struggle with addiction, whether their early pregnancy has gotten in the way of um, their own development and matriculation when it comes to school. They just get it done. My mom worked two jobs, raised three children, and went to nursing school. And though it took her long to do it, she did. She didn't make any excuses about it. She didn't complain. And when we talk about changing the stereotype, it is that thought process where I feel like in order for things to start changing in terms of the narrative that's out there, we actually need that support and help from when it comes to sharing and putting out those things out there because your opinions are valued and you are respected. And so to your point, when you have a woman that's able to recognize that yes, I'm no longer with this man, but he's an excellent father. And, and I'm not getting in the way of him being a father because of emotion. Um, and that in itself will definitely help um, to, to change the stereotype. And then in order for it to continue to change as men, we have to continue doing the good work, but we have to take the, it takes a village mentality mm -hmm. in, in letting that reach out to those who may not um, be as fortunate. I was talking to my brother earlier today and we talked about the fact that, we were talking about what the attendance will look like today. And what I said was, in a lot of cases, the fathers that need to be here don't know they need to be here. I'm looking at some of the gentlemen that are in this room right now that I know personally. 
they're here because they want to be here because there's a message they want to carry to those that need to be here. But if I ask you, did they, do those gentlemen need to be here? They don't need to be here. They chose to be here. And so in changing the stereotype, we have to get things like this out to the masses. Um, when I do my workshops in, in uh, schools, when I do fatherhood workshops in schools, um, I provide monthly quarterly workshops for the fathers of that community. And when the fathers come in, I always give them one homework assignment. And their homework assignment is simply to bring somebody back and look down to the next session. That's it. That's how you, how a village begins to change when we start reaching back and pulling those with us that just need a, a little extra push. So, just in short, I think another piece to this is also, um, especially as it pertains to young men within that age group of late 20s all the way up to probably late 30s. Asking for help is, is, is a sign of weakness in a lot of communities, especially when we're referring to um, where we grew up. Um, you don't want anybody to know that you're struggling with something. You, you, you don't want people to know that you missed a birthday party and you didn't have the means to provide a present or you didn't have a ride to such and such a house. Um, I think a part of why, honestly, I think why God brought us together is to make sure that we reach young men who feel that they don't know where to even go for that type of support. Um, you could Google the answers to a lot of things in this world, but I don't know if you can necessarily Google authentic relationship, right? So as the community starts to kind of get a, get a hold of the message that we're trying to share in a way that we even come alongside, alongside each other to fellowship and to continue to build um, our own legacies, I think we need to make it clear that if you need help, that that's actually you being vulnerable, of course, but it's actually the first step for you to start strengthening your own journey, right? The, the, the journey that you're going to be on, you're going to need to be in community to, to get through some stuff. Because life is hard, and you're going to go through some crazy stuff. And to do it by yourself is, is insane. To even assume that you can do it by yourself. Right, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, one thing I, I think as far as with our generation and the kind of shift that's happening as far as reversing the trend and reversing the stereotype is kind of like what, what Sherman mentioned, us seeing what we were missing when we were young. Um, like, like you mentioned, pretty much kind of my story. My mother and my sister taught me how to be a good father. I never had information or, or or kind of like advice from my father. I never had an OG, a big homie, a big brother, an uncle, any of that. So like I got stuff from raising as a 23 year old raising a three month old. I got all my help from my mother and my sister. But what I also noticed is I had friends that had sons too. So I'm talking to them. Like me and me and Sherman, our sons are actually born on the same day, one year apart. So it's like, okay, I know he's got a year of experience of all topics. It's like, all right, well, what about this? Or, or, or what about that? Or you know, we bounce some ideas off each other and things like that. So what 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 I'm seeing and what, what I need my business to do is I wanted to give my son and give all my kids the things that I didn't get from my father when I was young. 
And like, you know, I never talk bad about it. We don't have a, a normal relationship, but we got a great relationship. But one thing that I noticed is there were certain key things that I needed coming up in my life, and I never got those things from him. So with my son and my oldest son being in high school now, I'm pulling him to the side, and I'm telling him, well, hey, we got to talk about this, or what you think about this? Or having the uncomfortable conversations with him. And he tries to do stuff like put his AirPods in, like, hey, I don't want to talk about that right now. But I had to stop him and tell him. I didn't have a me when I was your age to tell me these things. So you might not want to talk about it, but when you get old enough to realize what's happening, you'll appreciate it. So a lot of things that I see with, with the fathers that are actively involved, that are doing everything, whether it's getting recognition or not, it's because we were at a fork in the road, and it's we could literally go down the same road that our fathers went down, or we can go the opposite way, and we could be the change that you know they say be the change that you want to see. So that, that's that's how I look at it when it comes to like a new generation of black fathers and and reversing stereotypes and reversing the trend. So um, I want to kind of move on to something that we all have. Like everybody like up here has, has a background in education except for myself, but my mother was a teacher, so I feel like I can I can speak to it as well. And what would you say is kind of like the biggest thing you notice with the involvement or lack thereof of black fathers in the school system, in school buildings, in their children's education in general? Like we we see that there's a, a need for that, but like let's speak on like the, the impact, both positive if they're involved, or the negative impact when the fathers aren't involved. <laughs> I think some of it directly correlates with roles. Part of the reason why I made my exit out of the school system uh, was insight that was given to me by an administrator of mine uh, when my son was born after he was about two and a half. We found out he was on the spectrum. And for the first four years of my son's life, all my evaluations that were for excellent except one area. I was always on probation because of my attendance. And I was on probation because of my attendance because before my son was born, I went to every single doctor's appointment with my son's mother. After my son was born, I went to every doctor's appointment, every dentist's appointment, anything that involved my son. I went to. And my administrator pulled me into the office one day. Um, and I know I just went off on a tangent about roles, but this is what she said to me. And the fact that she had the gall to say this to me was crazy itself. But what she said to me was if your son's mother is able and present and in a position to go to these appointments, why do you feel the need to take off work to go? So the first thing I said to her was, do you have kids? She doesn't. She's a principal, but she doesn't have kids. And so what I realized is, even though we're in a new generation, there are some things that are still role-specific, and it lends right to that. If the mother is in a position to go to parent-teacher conferences or go to doctor's appointments, and the father is working, then there's no need for both of them to be present. So the mother goes and they handle 
those things while the father goes to work. And me personally, that wasn't okay for me. One, my child has two parents, not one. And my child's mother cannot think or speak for me. While I fully feel comfortable with her handling those things without me present, I just know that there's things that I'm going to say, that I'm going to ask, or that I'm going to recognize in these appointments, particularly when you're dealing with a child that is on the spectrum, that she may not cover. Um, and so for me, it was very important that I be present for those things. Um, and it actually got me in trouble, being present. And so now fast forward, my son has been placed in a, in a public school, uh, I'm sorry, in a private school, non-public non placement. And we went to an event uh, that was hosted by the school and there was two men in there. There's only 60 kids in the whole school and there was only two men in there. And this isn't the case of the men not being present or they're not involved in the children's lives because a lot of the kids that go to school come from two family, two parent households or households where even if they're not together, they're co-parenting. But it was exactly that kind of thing. The dad went to work and the mom made it, made it the priority to be at this event. And it, it's a problem. It's a problem. And specifically to what you said, no, excuse me, I'm sorry, Sharon, what you said about the impact of father's presence on their children. I knew the one time my father popped up on me when I was in school, and I was a class clown, and I happened to look in the classroom doorway in the window, and he was standing there. I almost, I'm not even gonna tell you what I almost did, but <laughs> from that point on, I was no longer even comfortable conducting myself the way that I did, because I know at any point in time, he could pop up on me. But most important thing I've seen, I'm excited about is someone just raised their hand. So, um, the, the, the direct correlation of why you don't see a lot of fathers in schools, specifically, specifically in Baltimore, Maryland, is the erosion of the black family that the Social Service Department has put on the city. They do, the, the, the fact that they try to keep the man out of the house to give the woman and the child the benefits that they could possibly get, the man can't be there. So when you have that erosion over these past 20, 30 years, the man automatically feels like I shouldn't be around certain areas. I shouldn't be present in certain places because I'm really not welcome there anyway. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not welcome in the home, what makes you think I'm going to be welcome in the schools? Mm -hmm. Or if I'm not welcome in schools, what makes you think I'm going to be welcome in the church? Mm -hmm. Or now, welcoming that kid's life in a way that I want to be a father. The narrative of a father who is doing, uh, who is being a father, is not looked at the same way as a mother being a mother. When you look at a father being a father, people go, well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's how, that's, that's how it's supposed to go. But however, if I had the choice of not being in that, in that, in that in my son or my, my daughter's life, then all of a sudden, I'm bad. So the double standard will will move over from the dynamic of the family to the dynamic of society. They may say what the father's in the school, but when the father comes into school as that male dominant um, spirit coming into the school saying, this is what's going to happen with my son and my daughter, all of a sudden it's like, we don't want that type of energy. But that's the only energy a father can come with. He's going to come with that male spirit, that male energy to say, not to take over, but to say, this is how it's supposed to happen 
in my son and my daughter's life and in their education. They don't want that. They want, oh, you know, just come and, you know, just sit back. And that's not how fathers are. We are action people. We, you know, we're not, it's, not, it's not always about thought. It's always about what can I put my hands in to change or to, to add my, my spirit to it. And a lot of these school systems don't want that. The systems might not want it, but we want that. Right. I want that. Like I said, I'm an administrator at a pre-K to second grade school, and we welcome it. Please, I, I know the difference that a father makes when he comes in the building. So, and, and I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up, because that's why we're here. We want to change that narrative as well. Um, we have workshops that we're going to be doing at schools to um, basically engage fathers. A little bit of parent engagement so that we can start the dialogue. Exactly what you were talking about. We can start the dialogue to, to get fathers to start talking about what challenges they have with coming into the schools, being welcomed into the schools, having a voice in our schools, because it's very important that their voice is heard in our schools because of the impact they have on their children. Like my, my man Kenji just said, what did he do when, when he saw his father in that window? I see that often. Like, I mean, a child could be in full crisis. I mean, it's crying on the floor, maybe. I have babies, so they're still in the fallout stage. They're, they're on the floor. Father walks through the door, everything changes. Yes, sir. You know, it, it changes immediately. So we welcome it at our school. I'm not sure what the district is. Um, you know, going through, but at my school, we welcome all fathers. I wasn't going to say anything. I'm a, a social science researcher at Hopkins, and I study um, equity and um, the issues that people of color, uh, groups that are negatively stereotyped face, going into dominant white spaces, which are pretty much all, all spaces, right? And as I was listening to a lot of things you were saying, that's why I was like, you know, really grappling with some of the things. And um, I'm always looking at how research and media can disrupt, not just about her. We do a lot about her um, when we talk about these issues and then a couple people are helped, but not very many, and we still have the same issues, right? So one way, I was educated for 20 years before I came out of the system to work on the system and advocate. Um, one thing that I've seen uh, that helps is father's relationship with parent-teacher organizations at schools because that is a place where parents are true stakeholders and have opportunities to um, really make changes in the school. That is the only place where they literally are welcome, have to be there, you know, that kind of thing. Did you say parent-teacher? Organization, so ETA. Okay. So how um, have you seen as an administrator, or any of you all, uh, or how do you think that fathers can better utilize that vehicle in order to um, help leverage some of the images that they have in schools um, by doing that? That's the easiest question I wanted to ask. Um, that's engagement. We would have to do it on our end to actually get them in the door to get their input. You know what I mean? So like I said, at my school, we, um, we recently had a, a Donuts for Dads se session. And I think all the dads thought that 
they will be eating donuts with their with their children. And I, that's usually how donuts with dads goes. But um, when I walked in, I expected that as well. But we had someone from the district who, um, she's like our wholeness specialist, right? And she had this whole session, which I ended up facilitating, but she had a whole session prepared about, um, for dads to talk about how they de-stress, right? And you, you would have thought, I, I think the dads thought that they were gonna grab their donuts and get out of there, but when the conversation started, you saw more dads start to settle in and the, and the dialogue was great. You know, you start hearing things that um, you, would, you wouldn't even think dads were worried about, right? So with that dialogue session, we decided to continue the conversation and we even started talking about um, emotional intelligence, right? We started talking about how we can start leading the, our households as dads through working on our emotional intelligence and even communicate better with our, um, with our co-parents, right? Through emotional intelligence. So I think um, schools just start, they need to start trying to hook parents, like trying to hook dads some kind of way to get them in the building and then start showing that their uh, input is important. Right, they need to they need to feel valued, they need their voice heard. So yeah, I think it's on us. Yeah, and I would say that um, it's not news that the school system has been a broken broken vehicle for years, right? We oh yeah. I am in southeast DC, right off of MLK, Alabama, and I and there are things that you can write down on paper that are practical solutions to certain issues, right? That are not being approached, that are not being accepted even as an idea or even, or even as some type of a, hey, you know what, let's talk about that next week. Like, it's almost as if there, there's somebody up here that's like, let's keep it like this. Disruptive, a uh, lack of services, a lack of you know quality education in general, Funding in terms of bodies, not material products and pencils. I'm talking about like if we need us, we need someone that is trained in this type of a, a, a social emotional strategy, like to physically place them in the room all day with these five. Kids. So we we know that the there's a larger problem that can't necessarily be tackled um, and changed overnight. We know that piece, but just combining both of those both of these comments, which were. I'm going to be thinking about what you said for the next three months. I'm going to be trying to figure out ways to authentically get those type of thoughts into you know the minds of the people that I know can start that type of change on the ground over the next three months, right? But at the same time, a part of the reason why we have come together in general, and not just for the workshops that we will be doing and facilitating in the future, but we need somebody in the school that has this type of mindset that can acknowledge when there is a problem and a gap and a void so that that type of organization can take place. There wasn't anyone in my school at the time that was doing family engagement as a full-time job, but the most, and you can Google this if you want to, the most, the, the most effective, and I will use the word public charter, charter, public, whatever, however you want to paint it and, and label it, 
the most effective communities and programs have someone that is partnering with the whole child's family, right? Now, whether that looks like a donors and dads or mothers and moms, there's someone in terms of outreach that's letting that dad who was broken by the system himself, that is afraid to come back into that space, that won't admit that 30 years old, that I'm, I don't want to go back into the school because I fell myself, right. to let you know that these are the resources that we are offering. This is the approach that we can take. We will slowly walk you through how to be an effective communicator with your child. If those resources don't exist in a school building, then that will just continue and the cycle will just repeat itself, right? So one thing that I just want to kind of add to just that, just kind of responding to both of them as best as I could. Um, as a classroom teacher, as a black male, a certified classroom teacher, not like a paraprofessional, and I'm not shaming, I'm not, this is not me saying like I'm hired, that's not what I'm saying. But as a primary facilitator in the room, you could, you could scan a whole bunch of schools in urban ed, but there are not necessarily a, a high number of certified educators that everything falls in their shoulders, right? It's the security guard, it's the, the pair, it's the, the aide, it's the blank, it's the blank, it's the blank. But as a classroom teacher, in the last six years or so, I've had young black boys in my class, 100% African-American in, in, in my settings, where they've been broken by black men, and then all of a sudden, someone says, oh, they got you this year. It's gonna be great, they got you, right? So you make the assumption that because I'm a black male, I'm gonna connect with them, we're gonna talk about this, we're gonna talk about that, we're gonna be, I'm gonna share my dad's story not being you know, supported as a kid, and it's gonna be a connection, but what ended up happening and I'm starting to take note of this in a very professional way, in, in a research-based way, but what's starting to take shape is the fact that as soon as I resemble the person that reminds them that they have that void or that gap within that relationship, you look just like, you have to just like that. Right, I, how many times did my mom say that to be between eight and 13? I didn't know them. But there's something that was broken, and then now, if I got a black dude in front of me, as soon as he shouts or raises his voice or, or holds me to even a high expectation, you just, oh. And, and then there's a gap, there's a wall that's built that I physically and, and the other 2% have to break down all the way up until February. By February, it's too late in a school year. To, to get a child to trust me by February or March is too late. And then they go to the next grade and they can still barely read and they can still barely write and they still don't have a, an intrinsic motivation to do well in an academic approach, right? So the system is broken, and although this may just be a group of four, the mission that is put on our heart is a is a is a worldwide type of a like our dream is bigger than just being on this stage right here at the library. Like we joked in the back about you know a year from now being on some type of a hey guys we're on five right like because that's the type of impact that we are hoping to make, but it takes us being vulnerable ourselves and, and hearing that real life testimony and you with your expertise of the of your experience and, and your professional growth to be like, y'all sound like I know some stuff, but let me tell you this. Because we're here to learn too, which is why those here, it's all welcome. Um, but let me stop, because that's a lot. We're talking about bringing more men into a system that doesn't reflect, doesn't imply, doesn't employ 
to your point, none of this is scripted. Black men as educators, which is why when I wrote the book Community Superheroes, I was very specific about breaking gender stereotypes, which is why the police officer on the cover of the book is a female. And the teacher on the cover of the book and inside the illustrations is a black male. How can we expect our black men to feel comfortable, to your point and to your point, walking into a school that doesn't reflect them and doesn't look like them because there's so many limited men that are employed? And you nailed it. The school that I worked at, we probably had more black men in that building than probably any school in Baltimore City. Probably 20. And out of those 20, one of them was a certified teacher. The rest of them were paraeducators, support staff, and in positions of discipline. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As if that's our role solely, is to discipline. And then that starts to reflect, it reflects that way in, 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 the, in the household too. How many times can you think of situations where the mom, you know, referred discipline to the father to handle? And so for those things to change, to every, everybody's point, we want people, we want fathers to be more involved, but also how great would it be if I walk into my son's school and I get to see a bunch of me physically working there. Right? It, it creates a safer space um, to participate in delve into. Yeah, I, I feel like I said so much that I, I, don't, I don't have anything different from what they're saying, but what I will say is just from my experience of being the parent going into school. Like I was 2005, I'm walking into schools and I'm saying, you know, hey, I'm Stephen's father and I'll be dealing with you as far as his education. And they're looking at me like crazy, like I got two heads. And it's like, okay, well, I'm letting you know, I'm here, I take him serious, I hold him to a high standard, I'm gonna hold you to a high standard as well. And I, what I think the, the, the thing that happens in the schools is, like Kenji said, because we don't see a lot of us there, a lot of the, the women teachers are maybe intimidated by our approach sometimes, or maybe they're just not used to seeing a father that's involved. So because of that, they don't know how to meet us where we are. So you mentioned like PTA. I've been involved in my son's schooling since the beginning. Same thing with my daughter, like I go to her school and everybody knows me and all that. I've never been to PTA. You wanna know why? Because they don't make it seem like it's for me. They don't, they don't make it cater to my schedule. They don't make it seem as if, hey dad, we need you here because we need your input. It's just like, oh, hey, well, you know, we got a PTA, but, mm, you know, it, it, it doesn't really, it, it, it never is presented to, you know, to us as it's a thing for us. So what, what I think the school system needs to do is that you, you need to, and in any situation, when you're trying to reach somebody, you want to meet them where they are, you need to speak their language. And that's, that's one thing that I think is lacking. Um, I do want to open the floor to you all if there's anything that you feel that you want to add, if there's a question that you have for us, comments, concerns, suggestions, because at the end of the day, like I said, this is an open dialogue. It's not just about us four up here, but it's about all of us. And if you can wait for the microphone so that we have your voice clearly on the podcast, that would be great. All right. So I have a question about my education, too, specifically special education. I'm a teacher, so I deal mostly with parents and I. So I have a question for you. you. You said you're a teacher currently, right? So 
So it is a lot to get to your period, but to have that only on your shoulders to be the only male, uh, black male for the students in your profession, that's very taxing. And then you talked about the absences that there are of some students who don't have fathers in the home, right? So how do we address that? Because those students, those black males, still need those father figures. They might not have them. So how do we address their needs as far as a father figure and Kind of um, not having an ownership all on you, but what are some other ways that we can have other figures for those students? So, one approach that, um, that I've taken in the past, there are so many different programs in the cities that offer, you know, different resources as it relates to kind of you know, someone to come and speak, right? So one thing that I, I had like a speaking series that took place at Armstrong, which is one of my campuses from a year ago. I only got up with two participants, right? So initially, I didn't want me, Mr. Morning, to be the only professional black male that they kind of had a reference to. So I had offered um, an opportunity for uh, a gentleman who was an African-American attorney to come in, right? And he did a presentation, came in real sharp and just it was like another Mr. Morning. So they're like, oh, it's not, you're not the only one. Oh, that's your friend? Like, y'all hang, like, what you mean that's your friend? Like, y'all hang out, oh. So Mr. Morning got friends that look like him that do good things, right? So then I had another young woman come in who also was kind of like, uh, you know, able to connect with a group of boys and just tell them like, I didn't have a dad either, but I'm a girl and I didn't have a dad, so it's not just you. So it's kind of like, getting to the point where the kids start to feel like it's not their fault, right? Because a lot of the time, some of the boys, a lot of the anger is like, well, he's not around because, and they, they really think that they have something to do with it. And I'm not saying that every situation is the same, but in general, just answering your question, spreading the responsibility around to people that I trust in that space did help. There's a lot of programs where they're like, all right, you know, you you the basketball coach, you the PE teacher, let's do this mentoring thing after school in a very shallow, surface-level way because it only happens Monday through Friday. Our boys need to be met on Saturday. They need to be met at 6 p.m. when they all walk down to the court. Um, I, I can tell you that it just takes a supernatural type of faith to say, like, okay, on my way home, I'm going to stop at the court, and I'm going to have some sneakers in the back, and I'm going to get out, and I'm going to play ball with them for 30 minutes. Like, there's things that... There's small wins that have to take place, but at the end of the day, it's, it all comes back to just community. How many people in your community can you reach out to to say, this is what I got going on, I see that you, you're doing your thing, and I need your support. Once a week, once every two weeks. And if you know another dude down in the barbershop or whatever that's doing something positive, even if, even if there's someone who has a difficult life, I'm not talking about clean, never had a record type, I'm talking about people that genuinely have a heart for our youth. Obviously, that could pass a, a screening test to come into a building, right? But reaching out, because I can't, we can't do this by ourselves. I got 10 people that could be on the stage with me right now. They probably have more than that that they know that they could reach out and say, yo, we gotta be doing this. Let's get behind it, let's support each other. By the end of the day, for one, just making sure that the boys know that, they, that they're being heard, right? Letting these young black boys know that we hear them, not that we understand them, not to, not to be mistaken with like, Oh, oh, you didn't have a dad, me neither, we're the same. Because that's, that ain't it either. 
right? But it's more so just letting them know that we hear you and whatever you need, you can trust that I can try to find something to support you along the way. And it starts again with reaching out into your own community for those positive touch points to bring them into that space. I agree with uh, Glenn, extracurricular activities, um, sports. I got everything I needed as far as discipline, um, accountability, loyalty, just everything from football. I didn't, my, my football coach came to my school. I failed the seventh grade. The, the year I failed the seventh grade and the next year, um, I felt like I, like I did a 360 all because my coaches came to my school to ask my administrators how I was doing in school. And from there, I just knew somebody cared. That was it. I knew he cared, and so I changed, and the rest was history. You know, I got a master's degree in curriculum and instruction now, and I failed the seventh grade, so. <laughs> Extracurricular activities, and my, like, my father was not around during that time, um, and I needed some kind of like structure. So, sports saved me, basically. So providing um, different avenues, different men um, who are credible to assist with um, basically giving structure and support. She had a question right here. And we have time for two more questions. One thing that I wanted to say is to speak to the gentleman back here. There's a different type of energy that males bring, especially um, to school environments and everywhere else. I'm very blessed to have a husband who's very involved um, with my sons in, in our school and everything else. But I was raised by a single mother. So what I found is having a husband who was raised in a two-parent household with a very strong father figure, there's this clash where I've never seen that, you know, so where we just, we get to work through it is just making sure that he's able to bring the energy that he has and what he knows that our sons need versus what I think they need, you know, because I'm their mom, you know, and I have a very strong mother, and I'm a very strong mother, but I'm not used to seeing someone, you know, who's like, this is what we're gonna do, this is what we need to do it, and go from there. So I guess really it's just something to think about when we're interacting with parents, two parent households, co-parents, and everyone else. Not everyone has those tools and resources um, to work it out. You know, we're lucky because we work through it, but it's hard. I came in late, so I don't know if I missed it, but I've heard discussion about dads and mothers for sons. I don't think we can underestimate the importance for the dads for daughters as well. I definitely agree. Um, I have a daughter, an eight-year-old daughter. I think you know her. She is almost like my best friend. Uh, 
Well, my three kids, I would probably say we're the most similar because we kind of had the same demeanor. But the thing that I want to show her the most is I'm there for her. I'm available for any problems that she has. I'm always, like, I always want to be her superhero. I always want to be the person that she can come to for anything. But like having two sons and a daughter, what, what I realized is certain ways that I handle my son, there's some ways that I can apply directly to all three of them. But there are certain things that when my daughter comes of age, it's like those certain moments, that's, that's literally like what I'm waiting for because I see the relationship that my sister has with my father. Like I said, me and my father have a weird relationship, but we have a good one. My sister, not so much. And I saw that disconnect with them. And you know what? Like, we have our conversations, and it's like, we, like, literally me and my sister, uh, my mother's only two kids. I have other sisters as well, but we're, we're the closest. Me and her have two totally different relationships with my father. And I feel that she may look at my father in a different light than I do, and I don't want my daughter to ever have to experience what my sister experienced. So I want to do everything in my power to never make my daughter feel that she's an afterthought because I have two sons, but I also want to have her understand that as she goes throughout life, that I will always be the number one and number one fan, number one supporter, and the, the, the best man that she can ever look at until she, you know, gets old enough, she gets married and all that. But even then, I always want her to know that I will always hold her in that special place and she will always have that special place in my life. Gentlemen. And this will be our last question. So I have three sons, and uh, we live in Harford County, so we have a different dynamic in relationship. In terms of education, I would like to hear of you guys talk to them or give the importance of it. I, I, I say it all the time, but uh, I think, you know, it's kind of tuned out because I have no co-signing from the area that we currently live in. They kind of push back on it. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, we preach it all the time, so I just like to hear your thoughts from your perspective from other black males, the importance of a degree and getting going to school and doing well in school. I'm gonna have to give y'all my number. It's, it's a, a competition. competition. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. It's a competition. Call, call me. Yeah, that 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 we could we could sit here all day and talk about that. Um, I'll use my I, I'll use my story very quickly to answer that. Um, I was a complete fool in school. Kicked out of three elementary schools, expelled twice, left back in the eighth grade. I'm, I'm a high school dropout with a GED. Um, I had my father for the first 13 years of my life. My mom left him when I was 13. We have since repaired our relationship. But right now, every decision that I make is affected by me not taking school seriously. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, he's up here on stage, he's an author. I currently owe $120,000 in student loans. I just put all my business out there. A hundred, I don't, if you know math, one or two things is gonna happen. Either I'm gonna find my way, well, one of three things is gonna happen. Either I'm gonna find my way and be able to pay them off, I'm going to die owing, or these idiots that Trump messed with is going to handle that building where all the loans are stored. 
um, while nobody was there, and it will be erased, and I'll, I'll be forgiven for it. But let, let, me, let, me, let me help you understand. The ability and the power to be able to get a college education that was paid for because you took high school seriously and middle school seriously cannot be underestimated because it's a vicious cycle, it's a vicious cycle that's hard to get out of. I, spent, I, I borrowed all of this money to get a degree in education. I had a good job, but education doesn't pay the type of money that I need in order to pay back the loan I took out to get the degree to get the job. You see what I just did there? And so I don't want to discourage because when you said the importance of education and going to school, I actually have a different philosophy. Now, school is vital, it's important. Do it, take it seriously, and finish. However, it is not the only path to success. The question is what is your skill set? What is your talent and what is your gift? Once you know what that is, you invest every minute that you have outside of sleep in that talent because that talent is what's going to make you be successful. We have a lot of people out here that get up every day, they go to work, they earn a living, and they are miserable because they're not living in their truth, their talent, their skill set because they play it, right? So you can't afford to play and you have no excuses. You have your dad in your life, he's got you in Hartford County, which is very different mm -hmm. than Baltimore City. Trust me when I tell you, and that's not a knock on Baltimore City, but it's very different. And so yes, look at it this way. You buckle down for the next five to eight years of your life in school and put everything you have into that. And if you play the cards right, you'll have everything that you want. And then you'll be able to have fun and play. Did I, did I answer? All right. Tracy, what would If we can move to the signing. Okay. All right. So, I would like to thank you all for sitting this to us right now. I really would thank you all for coming out because honestly, this is a discussion that is needed. This is something that I feel that the community needs. We, as a people, need. And I, I, I hope to continue to have these kind of discussions and hope to change the narrative in, in ways that we can only imagine. So, um, we're going to wrap up. Uh, we will actually have, we have three authors here. So, we have our own children's books, and you know, you have the opportunity to check out children's books and purchase and things like that if you like. So, with that being said, this is OBAD 101, won't be the first or the last. And I would like to thank Ian Pratt and Tracy for allowing us to, to, to come and see you. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.